Welcome to Alex and Annie, the real women of vacation rentals. With more than 35 years combined industry experience, Alex Husner and Annie Holcomb have teamed up to connect the dots between inspiration and opportunity, seeking to find the one story, idea, strategy, or decision that led to their guest's big aha moment. Join them as they highlight the real stories behind the people and brands that have built vacation rentals into the $100 billion industry it is today. And now it's time to get real and have some fun with your hosts, Alex and Annie. Welcome to Alex and Annie, the real women of vacation rentals. I'm Alex. And I'm Annie. And we are joined today with Tracy Johnstone, who is the former owner and CEO of Johnstone Foods, which was a a group of McDonald's franchises in Florida. And this is a little bit different than the normal guests that we have on the show, but we wanted to bring Tracy on because she is an incredible entrepreneur with an unbelievable story of how she built the business throughout the years and everything that they did is just applicable in any business. So Tracy, with that, welcome to the show. Well, thank you for having me today. I appreciate being on. Could you just give our listeners a little bit more information besides my quick ex- explanation right there about um, who you are and just what your experience in business has been? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I have been a McDonald's franchisee, been with the McDonald's system as we refer to it for about 30 years. Um, my husband and I collectively owned seven restaurants at the end of our career, um, and I became the CEO and the, and the functioning operational person within the restaurants in these past 15 years or so. Um, so running restaurants, lots of leadership roles um, at the corporate level within the McDonald's brand, which is a real interesting dimension of the franchisee-franchisor relationship. Um, married, obviously have three kids and um, six grandchildren. Um, and am now at a transition point after a breast cancer diagnosis of uh, developing my next chapter um, and looking at what the future holds for me. That's um, that's just a lot, Tracy. So um, I'm always fascinated by McDonald's, um, and I think when we when I first um, reached out to you, I was I learned a lot through some work that my husband and a coworker of his were doing with you, and I learned so much about what it takes to be a franchisor. Um, and or franchisee, I guess is it is. Um, but you married into this, and then you kind of just took it on as sort of um, your mission to just be involved and integrated into your life, and and do better by the the employees um, of your business. And that's what you're known for within our community is just being that kind of caregiver to the people that are that are working um, at the McDonald's. And I know, you know, obviously you mentioned you had your breast cancer diagnosis and you transitioned away from owning the restaurants, but could you tell us about the early days? Again, you, you married into the family, but what was it that was that spark that made you really want to dive in and, and be part of the, the business? Um, I think back then I viewed myself as an educator. Um, I finished my master's degree, was teaching, you know, at Gulf Coast College and thought that was my path. Um, and then as you find out within the McDonald's system, it really is a family business. You're not just a franchisee of record. You really are a franchisee and you really are an owner and an operator. And that's a real differentiator in, in this brand. So when I began to work in the restaurant some, and it just happens by default when you're part of, you know, a, a quick service restaurant chain, um, if you're the spouse, whether it's, you know, I'm doing a birthday party uh, at one store, something that simple, but just somehow lit a fire in me that I realized 
Um, I am called to teach and serve and to um, lead people, I feel like, is what my my gifts are and my callings are, and that I didn't have to be standing in a classroom um, in academia to do that. I could be standing in our restaurants and teaching and developing people, Um, and those needs that are there you know, were just so plentiful. There was really good work to be done there. So began transitioning into the restaurants. At that point, still no no idea, no desire to become a franchisee. But as you begin to learn the business, you begin to learn operations. Um, it kind of gets under your skin. Um, and I'm a pretty detail-oriented person, and I want all the details to be right. I view the restaurants in this extension of my home. Um, so it became that natural fit. Um, and the, it's just like, you know, anything in life. The more you do, the more people will let you do. And that's sort of where I found myself. The more I did, the more I did. But the key to that was that I loved it. Um, I loved what we were doing. Um, And I just found, you know, a lot of identity um, under those arches. That's so cool. Oh, I love that too. Yeah. <laughs> so did you, did you own separate? I mean, I know you you and your husband own them together, but did you manage the restaurants separately? your own or were they, you're jointly managing all of them together? Yeah, we uh, jointly managing all of them in terms of um, the organization um, okay. at the organizational level. So we were both franchisees on all of the restaurants, um, yeah. but you manage them as an organization um, and creating that infrastructure, much like probably in your industry, when you have multiple Airbnbs that you're managing, it gets easier and you're able to scale and yeah. you can do more. Mm-hmm. Same thing here, um, managing them collectively um, and leveraging your talent, leveraging those resources is how we, we ran the organization. Yeah, interesting. I mean, vacation rentals are definitely very much a family-run business industry. Um, our company is a family-run business. Our, our president now is the third generation and oh, you know it's it it just it makes sense within what we do. But I, I'm I'm curious what was what was your strength in the business versus what was your husband's strength? I know you said you're you were great at leading the people, but what was he good at? He is old school operations, is what I call it. Um, he is all about quality um, of the food and and processes and temperatures and things being righteous. Yeah, and, yeah. And, He's definitely an equipment guy, a hands-on guy, and Lord knows in our business equipment, you know, can either make you or break you that it's in good shape and being cared for. Um, That's the part he loved. The part that wasn't his his favorite is dealing with folk, dealing with mapping, hiring, training, and development. He's just not given to that. Um, And the more we worked together at the end of when he was super active in the business, he just told people he was my maintenance man. Um, that's the title he gave himself is I'm Tracy's maintenance man. That's so and funny. the thing to that is he was quite happy with that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Really liked um being able to step back after 50 something years in the business. You know, yeah. um, he'd rather talk to the grill than talk to a group of people, and it just worked out great for us. So that's it sounds like you guys were a yin 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 yeah. and yang to yeah. each other. Yeah, and we found our sweet spot. And that takes a minute. That wasn't effortless. And it, there was some pain in that, finding that yeah. sweet spot. But when you work together in a family business, finding that sweet spot and who does what um, is a huge part of the you know the course that you're navigating to get where you want to be. Yeah, yeah, Alex and I have both worked with our husbands. Alex does currently, and, and I have throughout my career. And that is a that is a, a challenge to kind of find your space and your identity and not have it be um, consumed by the other or you consuming them, but also right. that you don't step on each other's hose and to- toes and make the, the home life confrontational. Yeah. 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 
balancing that and not having to, we would always say, we're not going to talk about work at home. And we, we talk about work at home today. Oh, you know? yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that that's never, I don't necessarily think true and not necessarily necessary. Yeah. Um, it's part of your life. It's part sure. of the fabric of who your family yeah. is. Yeah. Yeah. It's your passion for yeah. you and for Annie and I too. It's like, it's impossible for me to not talk about work at home or just even with my friends and people that don't even really know what I do. I feel like it's such a big part of me yes. and, you know, doing the podcast has become an, a, an extension of it, that it's, right. this is, you know, something that brings together a lot of different things that Annie and I do, but it's another way that we get to talk about work really. So yeah. Really, yeah. really enjoy it. Yeah. But, yeah. Completely get that. Yeah. yeah. So Tracy, I was actually, I came across another podcast that you did recently, um, the ladies didn't want to say her name is Shay. It was a spark. Um, really, really, I loved it. And one of the things that um, you talked about was that how passionate you are about connecting with people and kind of, I think goes back to your teaching skills and you're, you know, going in that round, but you, you talked about how people kind of in food service, but it, it does go into hospitality in general is a lot of those people come into the industry coming from areas where they were told they would never amount to anything or are given the opportunity amount to anything. And that you wanted to kind of, I guess, make it your mission to help these people realize their truest potential. And I think that ultimately led to what you call the Johnstone difference. Um, I just, that spoke to me just in, in so many ways, just because I think all of us at some levels have struggled to kind of find ourselves and depending whether you had a mentor mentee relationship with somebody where you could feel that they were helping guide you or you were guiding them to the, to your best self. I mean, it's very relevant. So could you talk about how that was impactful for you as a, as a leader? And then again, as a franchisor. For sure. For sure. I'll I'll speak to the Johnston difference phrase and it really is way more than a phrase. Right. But um, I think with that, I'll speak to that first that with that um, it is about separating yourself from your competitors. So another franchisee is my competitor in an indirect way. Right. Just like another um, another something in your your industry. So differentiating yourself is the you know, the best form of, of creating that competitive advantage. And for us, the competitive advantage is is hiring the best people um, Mm -hmm. and then serving customers well and creating customer loyalty. Um, So that was the root of that. And then teaching our folks that we're not the Johnstone difference. We just hang our shingle on the building. Um, You were the Johnstone difference. And empowering them to feel that and to understand that was huge. But when it comes to the people parts, especially the part of where, you know, you have people that come into this industry oftentimes not by design, it's just the nature of, of the business and, and how our culture is structured sure. um, that have come from places where someone told them you'll never have anything, you'll never be anything, you'll never do anything. Right. And once that really sunk in with me and I realized who my audience was, so to speak, with our employees, it became my job to prove that, prove them wrong to prove mm-hmm. the people in their life wrong, that you are not at a dead-end job. You do have choices. There is an escalator to the next floor for you. Um, you are not stuck at this level for the rest of your life. Um, mm-hmm. And in fact, it was the opposite in every orientation. I would say if you're still just cooking fries a year from now, then you need to talk to me. 
because yeah. there's a whole lot more you can be doing besides that. For some people that meets their needs and that's okay too for folks yeah. that don't want to reach beyond just doing, you know, uh, an entry level type role, but it's not where, it's not where the elevator ends, you know, the elevator goes up in this case. Um, And to make sure that we didn't have a down button on our elevator, you know, we are not pushing people down, we are lifting people up. Um, And I think that that concept and that process and creating that culture. And so the Johnstone difference internally was the people culture we created. Um, and creating that culture of achievement and advancement and just helping people see what's possible because you may have grown up in a home that um, not much was possible for you. It, right. you know, the environment, the circumstances you were born into, there wasn't a lot that was possible. It is our job as employers um, in these entry-level industries especially um, is to create that vision for these folks of what is possible for them and then giving them the tools and resources to do that. We can talk about all the utopia of what's yeah. possible, but then right. you got to put in the hard work of helping them get where they need to be. Yeah. Um, and I mean, what what an incredible opportunity to learn all that from such a well-run organization. You know, I, mean, I think from top down, I mean, the McDonald's brand, you don't, you don't get much you know, bigger, more well-respected than that. And I I just, I know from, you know, family friends that their children have worked for McDonald's. They've, they've done that. They've done the fries and then they've become managers. I mean, I've seen young kids that are now in their, you know, early twenties that are in management roles within the organization. So it's great to be able to offer those opportunities. And I'm sure that was very fulfilling for you since that's clearly what you love is working with the people. Well, I think our Panama City city manager um, was a general in the Air Force. And in a conversation he had to Kevin, who has worked with us in some of our um, marketing and public relations, he was telling him, he said, that was my first job. And that's how I learned to be a general. Yeah. Um, Yeah. You just don't get any better than that. So even if you don't stay within the brand or the system of industry, the things that you can learn and the skills you can develop, if you're working in the right people culture, um, really can set the trajectory for your whole life. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. I'm curious what it was like in the early days. I mean, take us back to when you first got involved in the business, you know, corporate America, you were one of the few female franchisees around, I'm sure. What was that like? Yeah, to come in. I know with the first um, meeting that I went to um, with McDonald's, um, and that was, you know, back in the 90s, it's definitely a male-dominated culture at that point, both corporately, probably, and certainly in the franchisee community. I became a member of something called the Women's Operator Network, which is the diversity organization within the McDonald's brand for women franchisees. It is the first time I got a different angle. You know, there was there was new lighting for me um, on the stage of seeing women achieve in this industry and in this business. Um, and that opened that door of knowing that that's who I wanted to be. I had no idea how to get there at that very moment, but I knew that that's, you know, that is the role that I wanted to have. Um, and then McDonald's now is a brand. I have to give them credit. And it's not just lip service. They are very committed um, to diversity and elevating women um, in our industry and finding that those women run good stores. Um, mm-hmm. You know, their sales are often better. Their profitability is often better. <laughs> um, their retention with staff is often better. So they're doing some things really well. Um, and it, it is serving the brand really well as well. But I know that first time going to a meeting, being on a team, 
um, and sitting at the table and how intimidating that felt, you know, yeah, whether that was yeah. my own lack of confidence. Um, doesn't really matter what the origin that was, but it's a moment right. when you walk into a big regional office, you know, and you're one of two or three women at a table of 28 people. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that being able to put yourself in those situations, even when it is uncomfortable, mm -hmm. there's no other way to learn that. There's no other way to break down that barrier for yourself um, and improve your skill set to be able to function in that environment. We talk about that all the time. Just Alex and I, just off off camera, you know, off recording, <laughs> is the is the the ability to really find yourself out in those uncomfortable moments yeah. and kind of understand and recognize that your strengths and and your weaknesses and what you need to the skills that you need to hone. And I think that you know we've we've definitely learned that for ourselves. But everybody that we talk to, that seems to be a common thread that people don't maybe talk about enough. That it really is okay to feel that and own it and, and, and go with it. So, so you were able to find some comfort and you were able to find your voice within the organization. And how do you feel like you were able to use that along the way to, to get, again, get to where you were within the organization? I think in our industry, especially, you know, results and metrics and measurements in any field you're measuring and, you know, results matter, right. Whether it's profitability or the metrics of customer satisfaction, um, and so I think getting to where we had the results to give me the credibility that I felt I needed sure. to then stand up and say, this is what we can do together, or this is what you should do, perhaps, depending on the venue. Um, but having those results yourself, um, it's really easy to get up and talk about how things should be. But when you're not doing it yourself, um, that doesn't give you a lot of leverage. So that's where I started is I figured out what mattered to the brand, to my franchise work. Um, and we started working those metrics. And how do we get these numbers? How do we get where we want to be? Because all of those numbers weren't just numbers on a page. They did equal um, the standard of operations. They right. did equal in sales. They did equal customer counts. Yeah. Um, and then that in turn put us in a you know position of profitability. And that profitability, um, being a successful franchisee financially, also goes a long way, you know, to to what your seat at the table looks like. There's lots of seats at the table I learned early on. Um, I just figured out which ones I wanted, though, finally. Um, yeah. Just being on the team wasn't enough for me at some point. I knew the seat I wanted. And then I started working with my skill set to get that seat. <laughs> yeah. And so your skill set, if I'm not mistaken, you referenced was counting ketchup packets. Yes. So I love, I, Alex and I just, we just yeah. love that story. So could you share a little bit about that? And like, I think that was your pivotal metric moment for yourself. Right. For sure. Yeah. I think when I finally mastered the PL and really got to the point I understood that we really are, it's not just a saying, we really are a penny profit business. Yeah. Um, the margins built into a hamburger um, you know, are supported by the sales of fries and, and drinks. And when you look at that product mix is our language, you know, and what average check is, mm -hmm. um, those things are inextricably linked. But I think when I realized how penny profit we were and that handing someone a handful of 20 ketchup packets just completely eroded 
the profitability of that hamburger and fry that we just sold them, it was an aha moment for me. Um, and it wasn't, it didn't matter that it was an aha moment for me. It was a matter is that we developed a way to teach that aha moment to our staff because I can't, I'm not in every drive through window. Right. Yeah. So educating them and teaching your folks and helping them get up underneath what profitability looks like in your business and not being afraid to share the second page of the PL with your people. Right. Because on the surface, it just looks like you're raking in money like no tomorrow, right? Right. Yeah. 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 Um, but we all know that, you know, um, in most industries, that's really not the case, especially in a service industry, which is what, you know, you are as well. Um, so it is about those details and figuring out what is your catch-up packet, you know, um, in, in the vacation rental industry, you know, what is your catch-up packets and what matters? And then how do you convey that to your people? Yeah. That's, I think the transparency part is, right. is really a critical thing. And a yeah. lot of companies, probably are, are, you know, wary to do that and they don't necessarily want to share um, that level of transparency with their, with their people right. that work for them. But to your point, that's, that's how you get people to understand. Like, I'm yeah. not just harping at you to not give away ketchup packets because right. I don't want you to do that there. That's tied to us being able to be a profitable company that will in turn be able to give you more opportunities and reward you for the good work that you do. And in vacation rentals, I mean, profitability, there's, that's probably the most used word at conferences these days, because yeah. that's the name of the game is figuring out how we can operate even with the same amount of inventory and rentals, but do it more profitably because right now getting inventory, a lot of companies are losing it. So that now you've got to start being smart about where you can right. make sure that you're keeping those margins. And on the other side of it, you know, we've got these big investment companies and um, you know the large ones that are coming in and they're operating completely not profitable. And I mean, they're, they're publicly traded because as one that they are not profitable. So yeah we always question, you know, where, when does the rubber meet the road for this? Because how is it eventually, how will it always continue on? But, you know, for the majority of us that do operate as regular profitable businesses, it is, it's, it's the little things that really add up and make a big difference. And you, you can't do, you can't do every software, every different program, because we are all operating on small margins and just having that um, business mindedness when you're making those decisions is very important. Right. Well, and I think for us, when we looked at that profitability piece, you know, and catch a pack specifically, because, you know, um, that is probably the entry level of, of where we throw pennies out the window, yeah. um, was teaching people the why. And if they yeah. don't understand the why, you know, you're doing exactly what you said. You're just harping yeah. at them about something else. You know, yeah. it's the next yeah. thing you're going to harp on. But teaching them the why um, and looking at, you know, what is what is the value per transaction? You know, we we would work with our managers to understand what is what is each transaction worth at your store? Obviously, the better your margins were, yeah. you know, you this store had um, a more valuable customer in terms of profitability with the transaction, but boiling it down and scrubbing it like that for folks and letting them really, um, whatever they relate to, helping them understand that, um, it just, it changes how they view things. And then eventually it goes from being a class to being your culture. Yeah. Um, and that's, you know, you can teach classes all day long, but if it doesn't become part of how you do business in your culture um, with your team or at least your leadership team, um, you're just teaching another class. But, you know, I, if anyone worked for us and couldn't tell me what a packet of ketchup costs, 
um, I, I have not done my job in my, yeah. <laughs> in my leadership team, but not done their job. Yeah. Um, so you've got to give people information. You know, they're shooting in the dark. You've got to give people information. And then, and if you relate it to their home, you know, um, how much does it cost to put ketchup, mayonnaise, and mustard in your refrigerator? Right. You know, um, and it matters. And you don't buy 10 of them at a time. And, you know, um, making it relatable was part of how we got to where we were with our, our results and profitability. Yeah. But do you talk about a way to, one, get buy-in, but help those people that we were just talking about before, those people that were told that they didn't have any purpose in life other than just just flip hamburgers, like all of a sudden their seat at the table is a completely different position than they could ever have imagined. I mean, that's has to be so empowering. Having having ownership, you know, and knowing that what you're doing is really contributing to the the something bigger than yourself, right? Right. That's that's the biggest part. Exactly. Well, and I think, you know, people have asked me many times over, you know, how do you in the world you convey purpose to someone who's working at McDonald's? You know, how do you convey purpose than selling a hamburger? Um, And and we had two sides to that coin that we talked about. One was the people's needs that we were meeting that were the person in the car in the drive-thru. They may have just left from a cancer treatment facility and they're coming by to get something to eat because they don't feel good. Um, It's the child's birthday. It's the elderly person who comes for coffee every day and you are their family. You are their social worker. You may be the (laughs) only people they talk to all day. So we spent a lot of time in that kind of conversation about the audience analysis, if you will, of who our customers were and how we were meeting their needs way above and beyond just selling them a hamburger. But then the other side of that was just what you said is now... I'm in the business with you. I'm not just working for you. Mm-hmm. Um, and we read, it's a, it's a tiny phrase, but you would never hear me say she works for me. She works with me. Yeah. Um, and that really does stick after a while. And it yeah. changes, it changes how you view your own people mm-hmm. and it changes how they view you and their job. So giving that to where they were working with you and we're working to a common goal and I have some responsibility. Um, And now that's, you know, that that became a whole nother game changer. If I am inventorying condiments every month alongside my GM um, and that's my scorecard is what our condiment costs were for the month, you know, and where we were in our stat loss on condiments. um, Now I'm doing math. I'm not just, you know, handing food out in the in the window. Um, I'm working on your your P&L. And yeah. that changes everything. And everyone in their restaurant is working on your PL for better or worse. Yeah. <laughs> right. They're impacting yeah. your PL. And I'm sure the same is true in your industry. Everyone who is part of the team that makes your business hum, they're impacting your PL one way or the other. Yeah. yeah I, I, I just said, I, I just love all of that so much. I think it's it's so relevant to so many industries. And I think some businesses, some business leaders, get wrapped up in um, the managing of the people and not empowering of the people and understanding that it, it is that true teamwork. It has to be, you know, together we all achieve more. They, everyone achieves more. So I, I applaud you for doing that. So I think I'm guessing that when your transition happened at the end of last year, that that was probably really hard for those people because they didn't see you as Tracy that owned the restaurant they worked at. They saw you as Tracy, someone who's mentoring and and leading them and you were family to them. Yeah. Yeah. And I think we really were, I mean, we were the Johnstone foods family and, uh, 
And that was the, you know, the overarching comment that we got when we decided to sell. Um, I just, I will, you know, I'll never forget sitting with my general managers that day to tell them, yeah. you know, about my diagnosis and then the decision to sell oh my so gosh, that I could yeah. give my full-time best effort to treatment and healing. But it was, you know, it, it was like telling it to my children, to me. And these are all grown men and women sitting at yeah. the table. Yeah. Um, and it was audible gasp. Yeah, um, I'm sure. About, yeah. You know, no. And yeah. they they felt for me, I guess, in the diagnosis. But yeah. the real pain in the room was we were breaking up the family. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and for that moment, that's what it felt like. And the uncertainty of of not only you, but their, you know, their careers, I'm sure that must've been difficult. Did you, what was that process like? Did you stay on to help with the transition and with the, with the new company? Um, Beforehand, before we actually closed on the restaurants, yes. Um, And that was important in how we approached that, that Mm -hmm. um, we made every effort to set them up for success. We didn't decide to sell and we checked out, you know, and that's Mm -hmm. the difference in caring about your people. And, you know, we we sold an asset, but we didn't sell the Johnstone difference. You can't sell culture. Right. Um, You know, so we sold assets and then it's up to the new owner operators to create their culture in the restaurants. But the truth is that Johnstone difference lives on um, and that culture lives on in those restaurants. And you can't put a price on that. Like I said, I just don't think you can sell that. Um, And that went a long way to give people some comfort too. Um, You know, I wrote an email the night, the day before we closed to our folks about um, you know, your job tomorrow is to wow their socks off. You <laughs> yeah. You, yeah. Know, you are still representing Johnstone Foods. Yeah. Um, and I said those exact words too. We may have sold the restaurants, but, um, but you know, you can't sell what we all know we have. Right. Um, yeah. And use that to level up in yeah. this transition. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got a competitive advantage that the other people don't even understand yet. Yeah. Um, so, you know, put that in your pocket and use it to level up and show people what you're made of and create your next opportunity. So. Oh, that's awesome. Interesting. So, Tracy, you've done so many, again, you're from the community where I live. So you've been an integral part of a lot of things that have happened in the community. And I think, again, that the community took an audible gasp when, <laughs> when everybody heard about your diagnosis. And again, feeling, you know, I guess, trepidation about what was going to be next for these people, but also just, you know, the love of Tracy as a a leader. Um, Something that I think you and I both, we connect on is um, we went through Hurricane Michael a few years back and, and I've lived here since the nineties or the early nineties. And so I've been through a few hurricanes and seen damage along the coast, but never really affected me as as much as Michael did. And it was devastating. And one of the things that I think rose out of that was just the champions that our community had to kind of rally and get us all back, back together. And I think what you did, not only to try to figure out how we could get, get the ship righted. I mean, we were complete total collapse of infrastructure from the utilities to everything. Um, can you talk a little bit about how, how that worked for you? And, and again, having the restaurants open meant meant more than just being able to serve food. It meant being able to employ people that had lost everything and needed, right. you know, they needed that normalcy. Right. For sure. I think, you know, our first objective and all that was to account for everybody, you know, sure. um, and, you know, we didn't have cell phone service. So you're in the Pony Express, you're putting a note on the door, write your name here if you have come to the restaurant um, to check in. But getting those restaurants open to feed first responders and feed some people and the ones that could physically get open, you know, several couldn't. 
they were beyond, you know, repair of just right. you know, getting it cleaned up and open the doors. Um, but being able to get people paid, um, and I know it sounds crazy now, but, you know, our son was in school in Tampa and he went to a friend of ours who got, you know, several tens of thousands of dollars over um, so we could pay people cash because I, I couldn't physically write a check. I didn't have, you know, the power to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and the banks were closed, you know, so just being practical about how you approach people's needs after that, having other McDonald's owner operators send in truckloads of blankets and pillows and mattresses and food and clothes and uniforms, you know, our folks, they got up to come and if they'd lost their home, which in many cases they had completely, yeah. you know, they didn't have a uniform to put on, um, you know, so you might have a corporate person come in and say, well, why does nobody have a uniform on? Because they don't have any, you yeah. know, you know <laughs> on. challenging um, times. <laughs> it really takes a minute to yeah. grasp what's going on. But then I think it, it made me realize too, the power of those arches and our family name, the, the, the payout of the good we'd done was being able to um, create some influence in what we needed as a community with the state legislature at, at right. the national level for federal funding. Um, I went to a, a meeting of, it was called, you know, just Hurricane Michael Recovery. The Women of the Storm is what it was called in New Orleans. And we were the women of the storm. Um, and I, you know, I laugh now and say I made the mistake of staying to help clean up because when you're raised going to church, you stay and help clean up right. the yeah. fellowship hall. <laughs> so <Yeah. laughs> I stayed to help clean up. And so, you know, there was a group of, of six of us that became Michael's angels um, and became oh, yeah. advocates and spokespeople yeah. for um, what was happening. But my experience at the national level with McDonald's had prepared me for that in a way yeah. I did not yeah. even begin to realize. Wow. Um, so you never know the investment you're making in your career and your job, your business, what that's also setting you up to do um, and gives you a skill set and gives you, you know, some influence that you might not have otherwise and finding a way to to leverage that for the community um, became a passion after that. You know, I think we all said many times over, we just want our life back, (laughs) you know, Um, and, and when you, that is a big sentence. And so being able to help facilitate that for our community became hugely meaningful for me. Yeah, we Annie and I were just talking about earlier today how planting seeds in your career path, how you don't know necessarily even that you're planting them, but if you just keep taking action and meeting people and keep moving along, you really are you're you're connecting the dots when you look back that all those things happen for a reason and you get that you know, that lucky break and in your case not the hurricane certainly wasn't lucky but Panama yeah. City Beach was very lucky to have you there for to be able to manage all this situation but it, it's it's uh it's rewarding in a way. It is right? rewarding. <laughs> yeah. And, it, you know, I never set out in anything I've ever done to be a hero. That word wasn't even really part of my vocabulary. But during the storm, one of the things I learned is when you're leading an organization, when you're leading people, um, they need a hero. Whether yeah. you want to, whether you do or not, or you want to be that, they need a hero. And, and leaning in and allowing myself to take that kind of role of like, I'm going to make this better and I'm going to fix this for you. Um, It wasn't because I really thought I could. (laughs) It was because I knew it needed to be done. And I knew that I had some resources to help make that happen. Um, But your team needs that. They need you to be their advocate, to be their hero, their spokesperson. Um, And that's the first time that really became apparent to me of who I was to them and how important it was that I accepted that role. 
Yeah. I remember just watching from afar, Annie, I mean, that you and I, we knew each other and we were f- friendly at that point, but we weren't nearly as close, obviously, as we are now. <laughs> but I remember just watching all the efforts that you were doing during Hurricane Michael and with the the plastic containers. Oh, and, yeah. I mean, it was unbelievable. I thought, my gosh, like she cares so much. And you were literally, that was your full-time job was <laughs> leading that effort yeah. for a while there, but it was just, it was incredible to see from a distance, but you know, not a far distance. I mean, hurricane Michael just kind of barely skimmed us, but that was just a day before that it wiped out your area. So. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it certainly wasn't me alone. You know, it was, it was the group of women and the, how empowered that group of women and, and women that I never met for that night mm-hmm. um, and such a diverse background. And that was the other pieces. We were all business women in some way, shape or form. Yeah. Um, and all of our skill sets and now all of our past experiences help, you know, create the environment to make that work. Yeah. I think, I think when you're, you, you never know how strong you are until you're in those moments when right. you just have to do it. And like, for me, it just became one of those things. It was like, well, it, again, it became a full-time job because it was filling in to cover up all of the anxiety of everything that was going on around. Like you couldn't drive anywhere without just feeling this crush of your soul. Um, And I just remember, I've told people over time, I mean, I hugged countless people that I would never have met in my life. I heard stories that were horrible and horrific. And, and if I could get them five minutes where they could just feel like they could just let it all out and cry and they would leave and I'd still be hanging there with it. But like, to your point, it wasn't trying to be a hero. It was just trying to be something for someone that I was helpless to do the big things, but yeah. I could do something really little that was impactful for those people at that particular moment. Um, so I think, you know, we all learned a lot about it and it, it is hard to look at the community and see how much is still left to go, but we're getting there. And every, you know, I, every weekend is, you see something, you know, a building gone is being replaced by something new. Um, but I think for you, it, it not only gave you a skill set that you didn't know that you'd been honing all these years, but it gave you a recognition within McDonald's organization. So when future things would happen, they looked to you. And so obviously everybody in the country globally went through COVID and you got called to, to be part of a task force to help with that. And what a, what a boost to say, like, this woman knows what she's doing. So can you tell Mm -hmm. us about that? Yeah, sure. I mean, I became a student of disaster response, whether I wanted to be or not. <laughs> right. It's yeah, not yeah. a degree yeah. I would want to confer yeah. on anyone. <laughs> yeah. But but you do, you gain a, an experience that no textbook can teach you, you know. Um, and so by virtue of that, I became involved in um, the Association of Food and Drug Officials and began doing some conferences and speaking on some panels for them about disaster response relative to food safety and operations. Um, it opened all kinds of crazy doors that you, I didn't even know those doors existed yeah. or those venues. But certainly with the brand, um, when COVID started, um, and I was at a McDonald's meeting in Vegas the, the weekend that we all kind of really figured out, okay, this is really happening. Right, yeah. Someone sanitizing the handrail you know, at the hotel in Vegas the next day and I'm like okay this is weird yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. and you're in the meeting bubble so you really don't know what's going on in the yeah <laughs> um, but after COVID really settled in it was like obvious this is something we're going to deal with and when I say settled in I mean three or four weeks afterwards because um, yeah. our whole world changed that quick um, I got the phone call they were putting together a COVID response um team for the U.S. McDonald's restaurant system. Mm -hmm. Um, And they had tapped people 
purposefully who had had some kind of disaster response. So, for example, the operator who was uh, owned stores where there were the Ferguson riots. Vast different, um, you know, portfolio of disaster circumstances. Um, but they asked me if I would lead um, the COVID response for the U.S. McDonald's system. Um, I said yes, uh, because mm-hmm. it gave me a way to focus all my, you know, nervous energy on something productive and positive at a sure. broad scale. Um, but I had no idea what I was, you know, what that really meant at the time. But that history, you know, again, um, that experience with Hurricane Michael um, really set the stage to be able to step in and understand when people are afraid um, and when resources are limited um, and when your you're living is being compromised. Those three things alone happened in the hurricane, obviously, and then we repeated that um, in COVID. Didn't matter what the circumstances were of how we got there, but those three needs changed everything about how we were as business um, women and men and leaders, you know, in the system. So leading that was incredibly rewarding um, and went a hundred different directions. <laughs> um, and of course, it was not static; it changed all the time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but but. But good work to be able to help craft. What are our processes and procedures now for sanitation? Of course, all that changed. Right. Food safety has always been a passion of mine, um, and I teach food safety, and I'm a certified instructor and proctor for Serve Safe, and so I'd already lived in that world. So that too was a natural fit of how do we redesign how we do business overnight yeah. in the yeah. field? You know, some, the changes that happened. Um, during that time for a big footprint company like McDonald's, it would have taken five years to do the things. We oh, did. yeah. yeah. We, um, you know, and menu modification, going to simplify menu and yeah. um, all of those things, you know, yeah. that if I would have recommended that the day before, they'd have been like, okay, yeah, you stay in your lane. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, it- and now all of a sudden, um, we had a lot of say so because we're the ones meeting the customers where they were and everybody else was in lockdown. We were classified as essential personnel. So we were open and could go to work, but the McDonald's corporate people were not. Yeah. You know? yeah. So it was a real shift in power, if you will. Um, and But everyone working to the same means to the end, which was to protect our customers, our staff and protect the brand. Yeah. COVID definitely taught all of us to be way more flexible than we ever were before. Right, and, yeah. you know, in our vacation rental and, and hospitality industry, same thing. I mean, there were things that we did and changes to policies that historically had never been done before and would have taken probably a year to contemplate if we were doing it yeah. under normal terms. But when you're in that situation, you just have to make decisions and yeah. a non-decision is worse than making a bad decision in, in, in a yeah. lot of cases. Just like a decision. You just have to and move forward. Yeah. You know, it's interesting to me in your industry, so much of that has stuck just like it has in ours. Mm-hmm. A lot of it yeah. has stuck. Yeah. Um, and as a consumer of your industry, um, I like that stuck. Yeah, it feels good. And the level yeah. of consciousness and awareness to my your safety and sanitation in a property that I'm in, yeah. um, that means a lot to me. You know, yeah. Yeah. I'll never view that differently. Even if COVID disappeared tomorrow, I will always appreciate the modifications that were made in your industry. Um, and hopefully the same is true, you know, within the restaurant industry. Yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure. Well, Tracy, this has been just a wonderful conversation. And I, I might've mentioned this earlier, but your name has come up for, since we first started the podcast, <laughs> Annie had said early on, you know, when we talked about bringing on other guests outside of vacation rentals and yours was one of the first ones that she mentioned because she said, Tracy is just an incredible leader. And I, I'm very fortunate to get to have 
met you and, and heard about you on our, our, our calls that we've had. So we appreciate you being here so much. And I know that our audience is going to very thoroughly enjoy everything that you shared with us today. Well, thank you. Thanks y'all for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah. If anybody wants to get in touch with you, what's the best way to contact you? So just Tracy B. Johnstone. You can find me that way on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Um, We're in the process of working with Kevin um, and then Annie's husband's on that team too, of launching a blog. I've been writing content for that for quite a while, um, as well as um, continuing on, you know, booking out some public speaking engagements. So you'll be able to find that information and track all that um, on those three social media platforms. Wonderful. We will include uh, that in our show notes. And if anybody wants to contact Annie and I, you can go to alexandanniepodcast.com. And if you're enjoying the show, please leave us a review, drop us a note. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, Annie, anything else? No, that's it, Tracy. Just thanks so much for joining us the second time around. And yeah. We appreciate it. <laughs> two two time times a charm. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you next time. Yeah.